Well, again, want to say welcome to you joining us from all over the place. This is Somersault. You've, you've heard it said by Aaron. We're in week four of Somersault. A little bit about who I am. My name is Luke Peterson. Uh, I currently work for Salt Company in Ames, Iowa. Uh, I will eventually be transitioning to plant a church in Columbus, Ohio, not this fall, but next. Um, obviously, super excited about that. God has been incredibly gracious and good to me to surround me with an unbelievable team that's continuing to grow, uh, as well as giving me an unbelievable partner in my wife, Shaylin, and we've got a little boy who's four months old who has just been awesome for us. So that's a little bit about me. Um, again, somersault welcome. If, if you're a, an incoming freshman, I want to say a couple things to you in particular. Um, you're about to enter into a, a pretty significant transition in your life. Um, so th there's some words I want to give to you here on the front end. Um, you, you not only have this big transition, but it's one of the most important and influential transitions in your life. I think the coming months for you will determine a lot about the person you're going to become, the direction you're going in life, and even what becomes important to you. You have an opportunity even now to make a decision that when you enter onto campus in the fall, you're gonna make it uh, your priority. You're gonna take ownership of it. You are going to seek out people that are gonna surround you and are gonna help you walk faithfully to know Jesus more and to follow him better. You have that opportunity. You're gonna make mistakes. You're gonna make bad decisions. But if you tether yourself to a group of people and ultimately to Jesus, that will make all the difference for you as you enter into college. Um, if you're a freshman or if you're not a freshman, um, we are talking about wisdom. We've talked about wisdom for three weeks. We're gonna talk about wisdom again here tonight. We're gonna to talk about wisdom in the future. Uh, one of the reasons I love that is because it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you've come from, it doesn't matter where you're going. Uh, what is universally true is that we need wisdom uh, to guide us in the messiness of this world, to even guide us in the messiness of our own life. So where we're gonna to be tonight specifically is Psalm 23. Uh, so if you have a Bible, it's a good time to grab it. Open up probably to the really close to the middle of your Bible. If you need some help finding that, the table of contents is in the front of your Bible. That will be really helpful to you. As I've evaluated my own journey of trying to follow Jesus well, what, what happens typically for me um, is I get into this like duty versus delight struggle. And when delight starts to go down, it's, it's being taken into the duty tank and that keeps going up and my delight continues to sink. And so a lot of my story is following Jesus was hard. I didn't really wanna do it. I thought it was the right decision for my future. I wasn't convinced it was the right decision for right now. But Psalm 23 at its best with us knowing and feeling the weight of what is said in Psalm 23 will spark a delight. For those people maybe who don't follow Jesus, but certainly for the people who do follow Jesus. So Psalm 23 is where you should be right now. Uh, to set the table for us a little bit as we enter in here, uh, the author of this psalm is a guy named David who's a very important and prominent figure in the storyline of the Bible. He grew up a shepherd. So a lot of the imagery, a lot of the language that we're gonna see in this text is like a shepherd-sheep relationship. And we may be able just to use context clues to figure out a lot of what he's saying. But for us to really feel the weight and to mine out everything that's in here that David intended us to understand, we have to enter in a little bit into the sheep-shepherd relationship. Now, I'm from Clark Summit, Pennsylvania, where I think there are zero sheep. 
Fortunately, we have people in the world who have been around sheep, who have shepherded sheep that can help us understand fully what's going on in this text. So whether you're a farm kid, whether you're not a farm kid, enter in here with me, because I think on the other side of this, we're gonna find some really significant truth that has not only changed David's life, it has really impacted and changed me, and that might be true for you as well. So let me just read all of Psalm 23, six verses, and then we're gonna enter back in and kind of chunk our way through. Psalm 23, verse one, it says, "'The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. "'He makes me lie down in green pastures. "'He leads me beside quiet waters. "'He refreshes my soul. "'He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. "'Even though I walk through the darkest valley, "'I will fear no evil, for you are with me. "'Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. "'You prepare a table before me "'in the presence of my enemies. "'You anoint my head.' With oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, whether at this point you know much about sheep and shepherd's relationship, one of the things that we do know is that sheep follow the shepherd. So it's a big statement for David right here on the front end to say, hey, I've submitted myself under the leadership of the Lord. I am a sheep the Lord is my shepherd. And then he follows that because of that, I shall not want. I have no lack. I don't need anything else. That's a significant statement. And uh, as I've looked back on my life up to this point, I would say some of the, the most difficult things for me is believing that a statement like that is actually true. That when I give myself over to Jesus, that means I'm not gonna lack anything because certainly I have dreams, I have aspirations, I have plans for my life. I have hopes for my life. I've kind of maybe figured out a five-year plan and a 10-year plan. So for me to loosen the grip of my life and leadership over to somebody else, it seems risky. What if that person wants to lead me a different direction? What if their priorities don't line up with my priorities? So it's significant for David to say, hey, even in a boasting way, like I'm excited and I'm pumped. The Lord is my shepherd. And for me, that means I shall not want. Significant statement, big statement. And he's going to go over the next few verses to describe what it actually looks like for the Lord to be his shepherd. So we're going to see his view and his experience with the shepherd. So let's go back in in verse two. It says this, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Let's, let's get a little bit into some good sheep information here. Uh, sheep don't just lay down when they're tired. In fact, they refuse to lay down until a couple factors are taken care of. Uh, the first one is they need to be free of fear. Um, if there's even a hint of suspicion that a predator is around, sheep won't lay down. And if you can picture like actually what a sheep is, um, they don't have claws, they don't have sharp teeth. It's a fuzzy animal that eats grass. So it can't throw hands at a predator. Its best chance of survival is to run. So if it's laying down, it is now vulnerable to a predator. So if there's even a hint of fear, it has to stand because it has to be ready to run. That's its only defense mechanism. So for a sheep to lay down, it must first be free of fear. Secondly, it has to be free of conflict with other sheep. 
Uh, there, there's a consistent war that goes on in flocks of like who's going to be the top sheep, which there's a lot of correlation to how absurd this is when you think of sheep, but it's unfortunate how true this is in our own life. Like who's going to be the top sheep that's still under the control and direction of the shepherd? It doesn't really make a lot of sense for you to sell your soul to be the top sheep, but they do. They try and fight who's going to be the best, who's going to control things. And if there's a hint of conflict, a sheep won't lay down. They have to be free of flies and parasites, free of annoyances, free from things just like entering into their mind space and going on around. They need to be at peace and calm. They need to be free of hunger and thirst, totally satisfied and content. For David to say that his shepherd makes him lie down in green pastures is a peace, contentment, and satisfaction statement. You have to be free of fear, free of desire, free of tension, free of aggravation, free of worry, to just exhale at peace and settle yourself down in the green pasture. Now, this isn't just an image of peace. It's not a projection of peace. This is the real stuff. This is what vacations were made to try and accomplish. I, I just automatically have this vision of like, sitting in a beach chair in front of the ocean, waves are coming in, I'm probably under an umbrella, just like relaxing and at peace, my mind is free. This is the image that David said, man, being in the flock of the shepherd means that it's the shepherd's job to lead me to a place where I am free from anything mentally. I'm just at peace. I can lay down, I can nestle myself in full contentment, in satisfaction. And he continues in verse two. He, he makes me lie down in green pastures, yes, but he, he also leads me beside quiet waters. Shepherd leads him to a place where he can find refreshment and quench his natural longings. Now, this is also a guy who spent a good chunk of his life hiding in caves, hiding in deserts. He knows what it's like to be thirsty. And as I think of the water that is being described here, I think of what Coors Light wants us to think of when we think of them. Like snow-capped mountains, this fresh, cool, crisp, clean stream ahead of you. It's like you're, you're tired, you're sweaty, you're thirsty, your mouth is dry, you're feeling weak. And then here is this Rocky Mountain cold stream. Somebody who's experienced agonizing thirst is saying, being a part of the shepherd's flock not only means I'm at peace and can lay down, but it also means he is in charge of bringing me to fulfill me, to satisfy me, to quench my natural longings. But for sure, there's a temptation of like along that path, stopping the muddy puddles, getting a sip from the muddy puddles of possession. Maybe it's a muddy puddles of money or of success. It's a significant statement for David to say, listen, I've surrendered my life to the good shepherd. He is in charge of leading me to where my soul is refreshed. I don't have to go off to these muddy puddles all over the place. Just allow me to be led to where I will find refreshment. This is what it's like to be in the flock of the good shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters for me to be filled. In verse three, he refreshes my soul. Maybe your Bible says he restores my soul. There's 
There's something in the sheep world called being cast down. I, I don't know firsthand, but it sounds like a pretty pathetic sight to see. What happens is uh, sheep get themselves into this position where they're on their back and they can't get themselves to their side to get their feet under them. So they're on their back with their legs straight up in the air, flailing, a lot of times screaming, trying to figure out what they're gonna do. Now, if they don't have a shepherd come and restore them to a place of health, they're easy prey for a predator, but also there's like gases that start building up internally inside of them, which will be fatal if not checked by a shepherd. This is what it's like to be cast down. In David, who also wrote Psalm 42, which is a psalm that he uses very similar language to this. He says this, why are you downcast? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? He's experienced enough life at this point to know that following the good shepherd is not just green pastures in fresh water. David's a guy who's experienced friends who have betrayed him. He's experienced people in power trying to kill him. He's experienced agonizing shame and regret over his sin. He's lived enough life to know that even while you're in the care of the good shepherd, there's times you're going to be downcast and you're gonna need a shepherd to step in and restore you back to health. We're too sinful to do it on our own. We have no ability to flip ourselves. We need the shepherd to step in. And for David, this is significant in his journey and following his shepherd. He has green pastures. He has clear waters to drink, but there's times where his soul is gonna be downcast. Life is gonna hit him and it's gonna be hard. But here steps a good shepherd to restore his soul. Back into verse three, he guides me along the right path for his name's sake. David is also the one who wrote in Psalm 51, surely I was sinful at birth. You don't have to convince David that his GPS mechanism to navigate life on his own, it's broken. It's been broken for years. It's been broken since he was born. He needs somebody to help him get on the right path. He doesn't even know where the right path is. He doesn't even know how to get on the right path. He needs the shepherd to guide him and lead him there. Now, right after this verse, there's a pretty significant transition that happens here in Psalm 23. Um, I mentioned that I'm, I'm married, a wonderful woman named Shaylin. We have a little baby boy. Uh, often I'm asked these days, like, hey, how's Shaylin doing? How's Brooks doing? Uh, and I answer it very similar every time. Like it's been a privilege for me to just watch Shaylin and live alongside of Shaylin to watch her be a mom to Brooks. It's been a lot of fun to watch. Like she is so kind, so compassionate, so gentle and gracious. She loves Brooks so well. And, and I tell people this and almost every time I'm talking about Shaylin in these ways and I feel the need to like, that conversation ends to kind of like step over to the side a little bit and just like shoot Shaylin a text and be like, hey, love you. So happy that Brooks has you as a mom. You're doing incredible. I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited for you. This is the transition that happens in Psalm 23. You have David, he's talking about the good shepherd. He's saying, hey man, here's my experience with the good shepherd. He makes me do this. He leads me here. He guides me this direction. And it's almost like he steps aside 
gets down on his knees and just starts talking to the good shepherd. His affections are so stirred that he like transitions and now he's talking directly to the good shepherd in verse four. And, and this may be familiar, whether churched, maybe not churched, you maybe have heard some language in this verse. Here it is, verse four. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We've had a picture up to this point of a, of a shepherd out front. And it's important, it's necessary to have a shepherd out front who can see what we can't see, who can guide us directions we don't know where to go to even allow us to follow his voice forward. But the transition that happens here is, is not of a shepherd who's just out front, but also a shepherd who's right next to us, who's beside us. Uh, Shaylin and I had a pretty difficult experience in the birth of our son, Brooks, who was born January 28th of this year. Um, he was born without breathing, and so it was like a, a pretty terrible uh, few minutes of us just like wondering, is he gonna make it? Is he gonna pull through? Um, affected me in pretty significant ways, as you can imagine. He ended up pulling through, he's great, he's fine. But the, the next couple days in the hospital, I had a lot of time to just like think and process uh, the, the things that I saw and how I was feeling and, and where can I find like refreshment. And to be honest, the thing that brought my soul so much comfort was specifically the nearness of God. It was the nearness. It wasn't that he was out front calling me a particular direction, is that he was right next to me. And it also brought me comfort to know that they couldn't take my little boy and wheel him into a room that God wasn't near to him. The nearness of God, having a shepherd who is beside David is significant when you're walking through difficulty. Because the point of verse four is not that the good shepherd's gonna lead you around dark valleys, it's that you will be in dark valleys, but in all of those dark valleys, you have a shepherd who's next to you, not just in front of you who has a hand, a rod, and a staff meant to provide, meant to protect, guiding you, walking with you, maybe even sometimes being a shoulder for you to lean on, just walking so that you can take a step forward and stumble a little bit further and stumble another step. This is what it's like to be in the flock of the good shepherd. And who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want that? When you actually evaluate life, Certainly there's dark times. Certainly you will enter into disappointment and confusion. You'll be devastated by things. You'll have losses in your family that you're not gonna know how to navigate. The nearness of God found in verse four, that's what's significant. You have a shepherd who's not only in front of you, but who's also beside you. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I, I'll fear no evil for you're with me, you're, you're not just ahead of me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Some of the best land for sheep I learned is the Western United States and Southern Europe. The, the reason this is the case is because there are really high plateaus that are just covered in perfect pasture lands. But what happens is the shepherd has to lead these sheep up some pretty difficult trails to get to the pure pasture. But before he does that, he or she does that, they have to go up and, and prepare it. 
In fact, all around the world, these are called mesas, which is translated as table. The shepherd has to go up there before the sheep. And what he does is he's scanning because a lot of times in these tables, there are poisonous weeds and plants in sheep. And anything in front of a sheep, it's gonna eat. So if the table has not been prepared, sheep will enter up into the pasture. They'll eat everything in front of them, including poisonous weeds and poisonous plants, and it will ultimately kill them. Could have been David's intention here to draw us to this particular picture. Coming out of difficulty, we have a shepherd who's been in front of us, who is walking beside us, and who's also prepared a flourishment ahead of us. Somebody who can, man, he can walk us up the hill. When we get to the field, we can just flourish and enjoy and have life. He's taken care of it. He's prepared the table before us. And the verse continues to say, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And throughout the Bible, there's consistent language about anointing and oil. And a lot of times that comes with, with blessing. For sheep, having your head covered in oil was protection from an enemy that they had absolutely no ability to wage war with. They had no ability to defeat this enemy. And so oil was very key in this. Uh, in the summertime specifically, uh, sheep had to deal with warble flies, bot flies, heel flies, nose flies, deer flies, black flies, mosquitoes, gnats, and other just terrible creatures um, that could make life miserable. And specifically, a nose fly was the most significant danger for a sheep. And what would happen, as you can imagine, that they can't like swat flies away from their head. And so a nose fly would circle the sheep's head looking for an opportunity to get into the nose of the sheep. This is, this is kind of gross, but bear with me for a second. It would get into the nose of the sheep and then it would lay eggs. And after a few days, the eggs would hatch these like worm-like creatures that would start working their way up the nasal cavity, burrowing themselves into the head of the sheep so far inside, it can't do anything about it. It would be so irritating, as you can imagine, it would create all kinds of inflammation that sheep would deal with this by literally smashing their head into trees, into rocks, no idea how to deal with the irritation. They're just trying to get it to stop in their head. And so what a shepherd would do is he would take oil and he would cover the head of the sheep to protect them from flies, to protect them from an enemy it had no power over, and even to protect them from themselves. Is, is this not a storyline you've heard? Is this not a storyline David could even color in in his time period? A shepherd who doesn't cover him with oil, but covers him with blood to save him from an enemy he can't defeat and to save him even from himself. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Of course, this is good news. Of course, David is quick to boast and say, man, sign me up for that flock. I want that shepherd to lead me. And it leads us to the last verse here in verse six. It says, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I've already been given in Psalm 23 some locations that have caused David to feel a lot of peace about where the shepherd is. We've got a shepherd in front calling us forward. We've got a shepherd beside us in difficulty and he completes it by talking about the shepherd being behind him. 
Now, the language of following behind comes up in a different part of David's life that can be found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. You've got a story of a little boy named David who goes to this field. There's war about to break out. And what he sees when he gets there is a nine foot, nine inch warrior champion named Goliath who's mocking not only David's shepherd, but also the army in front of him. So little boy David decides he's gonna do something about it. He takes some stones and a sling. He ends up killing Goliath. And once he kills Goliath, the army of Goliath sees that their boy is dead. And immediately what they do is they turn and run. They they get out of there because this is trouble. And the army behind David sees them running. And so they aggressively and ferociously run after this army to try and end this thing right now. They run after them to slaughter them, to kill them all. The language used to describe what the army behind David did towards the army behind Goliath, ferociously pursuing, is the exact same word we have here in verse six. That goodness in love, that is what is from the shepherd, ferociously pursuing us, aggressively running after us. To be in the flock, David is saying that the footsteps that he hears behind him, it's not of wrath, it's not of anger, it's not of disappointment. To be in the flock means the footsteps that you hear behind you are that of goodness and love, of mercy and of grace. Starting to come into vision a little bit of why David can say in verse one, listen, the Lord's my shepherd. He's my leader. And because of that, I, I, don't, I don't need anything else. I have everything that I need. Now, coming from a boy who grew up around sheep, who grew up a shepherd, This is pretty personal and intimate for David to talk about God in this way. But the purpose of this chapter for us is to lift our heads to the one who called himself the good shepherd in John chapter 10, who says, I have come not not, not to steal, kill and destroy, but that you may have life, that the flock may have life and have it abundantly. Next statement, I am the good shepherd. Those of you who know about Psalm 23, those of you who had read probably the most famous poem in the history of the world, certainly in the Old Testament, you know Psalm 23. I'm the good shepherd. His name is Jesus. He's the one who laid down his life so that we can lay down in green pastures. He's the one who drank the cup of wrath so that we could drink from the quiet waters the one who sweat drops of blood so that our souls could be restored. He's the one who walked the path of death so that we could walk the path of life. He's the one who walked alone through the darkest valley so that we could walk with him to the highest heights. He's the one who took beatings from the rod, who took punishment from the staff so that we could find comfort in the cross. He's the one who God treated like an enemy so that his enemies could be treated like him. He's the one whose head was anointed with the crown of thorns so that our head could be anointed with oil. He's the one who yelled, I thirst from the cross so that our cup could overflow. He's the one who had footsteps of punishment and anger follow him so that we could have footsteps of goodness and love follow us. 
He's the one who left the throne of heaven to dwell with the sinful so that the sinful could leave their sin and dwell with him. He's the good shepherd. And he was killed by the sheep so that the sheep could find life in him. The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus is my shepherd. And if Jesus is my shepherd, I shall not want. It all points to Jesus. And for those of us in the flock, this is like a stake in the ground of satisfaction and contentment that comes with allowing myself, surrendering myself over to the leadership of Jesus. This is what it means to have a good shepherd in the name of Jesus. And you may feel like a tight grip of your life. Like, no, 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 please don't give me another shepherd. What if they wanna bring me a direction I don't wanna go? What if they lead me to places I never intended to be? Has the good shepherd not already proven himself worthy of us to follow? Has he not already proven himself to be trustworthy, to be for us, not against us? How much more of the story of Jesus do we need to read to believe this, to trust this? Listen, I, I get that it can feel risky to start to, to loosen the grip a little bit on your own life. It, it even now, at this point in my life, it's something I've struggled with my entire Christian journey. I think I'm gonna struggle with it for the rest of the days that I'm alive, continuing to help myself loosen the grip of my life to the one who has earned the right to lead it. The one who's earned the right to control my life. I get that it feels risky. I get that it's scary. But how does it make sense for us to trust this shepherd with our eternity, but not my immediate decisions? To trust him with where I'm going for eternity. But listen, I don't know if I can trust you in this decision. I don't know if I can trust you in that direction. I don't know if you're beside me in this difficulty picture we have here is not of a dictator demanding submission for his gain, but a good shepherd offering us leadership and guidance to be brought into a benevolent flock for our gain, for our good. So much packed into these short six verses. But if you just walked away with the statement found in verse one, the Lord is my shepherd, we've won. We've won. You've won Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, not a Lord. There's only one. The Lord, King of the universe, all-powerful one, the one in charge, the one who never fails, the one who never loses, the one who will reign forever. The Lord is, not was, not will be, not could be, not even should be. The Lord is my personal, intimate shepherd, the one who lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is my shepherd. Are you in the flock? Are you in the flock? And what is stopping you from releasing control over to the one who just wants to follow you with goodness, and love, and mercy? What is stopping you from saying, you know what? I'm not a good leader of my life. I need the good shepherd to step up. Maybe you have surrendered to Jesus at this point, but you continue like me to resist the shepherd's leadership. What's stopping us from just saying, you know what, my hands, it's, it's not that they're loose, it's that they're off. It's done. My hands are off. I wanna allow the good shepherd to lead me, 
to the places where I will flourish? What's stopping us? Jesus is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Let me pray. Man, Jesus, it is, uh, it's overwhelming for me to think of all the ways I've, I've resisted your, your guidance. I've, I've resisted the places that you're leaving me. I, I haven't trusted you to be good. I haven't trusted you to be in control. And I, I, am, I am sorry. I wanna do better. Would you give me grace? Would you give me strength to continue to trust you as the good shepherd? God, and for, for all of us who are listening and who are processing Psalm 23, would you, would you allow us to actually believe, to lay our life down on the statement that you are for us, not against us, that you lead us to the places that we can flourish, not to the places where we'll be disappointed and upset and unsatisfied and discontent. God, allow us to trust you and allow us to every single day wake up believing what is true in Jesus and surrendering our life over every single day. Give us the strength and give us the grace to do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. The Good Shepherd. Amen. Amen.